deal. So that's kind of fun. If you're new or visiting this morning, hey, welcome. Thanks for joining our family, and uh, we hope you feel at home. And we hope you're blessed, and uh, we're just glad to have you. So we'll spend together. We're in a series called Responsibility, and the idea there is that we have to have a response when God speaks to us, and then a lot of times He'll ask us something that we aren't sure we can do, and then He gives us the grace or the ability to do what He's actually asked us to do. And uh, so let's pray this morning. We're going to be talking about the mind and how we think. Ha <laughs> None of us ever struggle with that, so it should be an easy morning. <laughs> that was humorous and you're not laughing. Okay, let's pray. Here we go. Father in heaven, as we come before you, obviously there's a pause in the room just because our, the way we think is an absolutely fascinating arena. And uh, we find ourselves marveled and baffled and horrified and filled with joy all at the same time over the way our thoughts go and the way uh, different influences steer us. And we uh, find ourselves tracking down tracks that um, we had no expectation of going down. And yet, Lord, in your word, the uh, direction of the mind is one of the highest forms of worship. It's one of the one of the indicators of uh, being focused on you, and so it's really important. We will not be able to touch a tenth of what we're supposed to touch this morning, but may it give us uh, some good food for thought, so to speak. And Lord, may you uh, interact with us on this, because my expectation will be there will be a specific track that you'll have for everybody in terms of a particular place where they struggle in terms of reining their thoughts in with you. And, uh, and I ask that you would uh, be dialoguing with us while we go through this together, through your Spirit, and we uh, are incredibly dependent on that. And so we give that to you this morning with hope and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Let's go back to our verse in Hebrews. If you're a newer visiting this morning, this has kind of been the theme verse. Uh, that we've been working for. And it says, therefore, uh, and and the idea there is all that came before the 11 chapters in Hebrews, and you can go back and read that if you'd like. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In other words, what Jesus puts in us cannot be taken away. That just needs to be emphasized again because I think in our culture, everything can get stolen, right? Uh, I was just reading this morning about um, some crypto computer program that comes on your and then uh, it locks up your computer and then they hold you for ransom and unless you pay them back you don't get your pictures and all that kind of stuff so I'm like you know almost everything we know these days can be stolen in one form or another it says therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken or stolen and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe For our God is a consuming fire. And the theme we've been working off of in this series is the idea that God speaks and we respond. So if you're in the Word and a verse is highlighted and something directly uh, speaks to you where you go, Oh, my goodness, I hadn't thought of that before. That's where this begins to engage. Because it is not just knowledge about the Word. Uh, Some of us think the more Bible studies that we're in, the better we are. The more books we read, the better we are. Nothing wrong with Bible studies and nothing wrong with books. Okay, I read a ton of them. All right. But that does not get us where we need to go because the real issue is that when I know something, do I then do it? 
In other words, is there follow-through on my part for what I know? Knowing about it is not knowing it. Uh, Many of us know a lot about the Christian life, but we are sadly lacking when it comes to the experiential part of having followed through in obedience, and so we know it in a real form. So, for example, one of the places where this connects is in witnessing. Many of us know we should witness. Many of us have long thought we should share our faith. Uh, Many of us have even looked for opportunities. And theoretically, we know that when you watch uh, someone, you share the the kingdom with them, that their heart changes and they can come to a place where they accept Christ as Lord and and then they have eternal life. We, We know that conceptually, right? But it's an entirely different matter when you're sitting across the table from somebody and you're sharing that and you actually watch the kingdom born in them. You no longer just know about it. You saw it. You know it experientially. And it takes on a completely different paradigm because you saw Jesus enter that person. It's no longer a theory. It's no longer something to be debated about. It's something you actually observed and experienced, and now you carry with it. So part of what we're trying to say in the series is it's not just uh, knowledge-based. It's obedience-based. When God speaks, we need to respond. And then the other side of it is, uh, often when He speaks, um, He will ask us to do something that we're not necessarily sure we're capable of doing. All right? Um, And there's the issue of, will I obey? Will I follow through? And what we're saying here is that God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. So He didn't speak to you because you're already super Christian, uh, equipped with all the gifts of the New Testament, and you're ready to roll through this whole thing. And that's why He picked you. Many times He picks those who are deficient in the exact areas where He's called you to do something to show that the glory when it comes out is from Him and not from the from the person who he picked. Matter of fact, uh, God, the Bible says that God picks the foolish things of this earth to shame the wise. And so a lot of times if you go, wow, I can't do that, you're exactly in the right spot for His grace to be given to you to do something that you otherwise could not do. And yes, it would be scary. And yes, it would be uh, traumatic and all that kind of stuff. But you can do it. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is and the grace that that He gives. Uh, That's important. Now, here's where this all really starts to come together and begin to line up. This is found in Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar verses, but let's read them this morning. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Anybody in here God's been merciful to? Right? Yeah, you wouldn't be here if He hadn't been merciful to you. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, when you're thinking, what can I give God? What is He looking for? What you can give God is you. You know that old saying, I'm all I got, right? Okay, that's true. And what God is looking for is He's looking for you to give yourself to Him. He's looking for you to yield. There's always that authority battle who's in control and He's looking for you to give that up and to give yourself to Him. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Remember in the Hebrews passage, we should offer what? Acceptable worship. 
We should offer acceptable worship. Acceptable worship is what? Giving yourself to God in this Romans passage. Offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is, it says, true and proper worship. You give yourself. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's where the catch is. All right? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in that passage, what it's saying is that how we think is probably the most critical aspect about us. How we think, what we think, shapes who we are. And this passage is connecting those two, not just the mind, but connecting the mind to the body. So when we often think of worship as a function of our spirit, which it is, right? but we forget that it, it, it's kind of an and both and it all goes together. It involves our bodies. Okay? True worship involves the stewardship of our bodies and the stewardship of our bodies is directly correlated to the control center. Your will, your mind inside And it is the mind that lines up our purposes and our choices to obey God. Right? It's the want to part in you. We would call it um, the will. That we line up our will with God. Um, Ben uh, Russell sent me a a little clip this week uh, and, and noted that when Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength... He changed that Deuteronomy passage and added the phrase, all your mind. And the word for mind there is a dianiah, and it means your will or your willpower. Anybody in here stubborn at all? Yeah. Some of you just looked away right at the floor. That was great. Okay, here's what we're talking about. That's not necessarily a bad trait. All right? That is actually, in some cases, a God-given trait, often misapplied for our own purposes. All right? But the idea of willpower is the idea of I can focus and center my thoughts on the kingdom, on Jesus, and aim at that, and I can stay with it. All right? Because I will it to happen. I want to focus on Jesus. And so, the idea here is... When we're talking about give your life to Christ or give your heart to Christ, what we're talking about is that place in there, that control center, where you control your thoughts. You're the person in charge. You're the only person that gets in there. And you will yourself to Jesus, not in the sense that it's in your strength, but by faith, when you know God's talking to you, then you direct that will towards, I want to accomplish what Jesus wants me to accomplish. That can be very simple. Jesus says, you need to give your life to me. (laughs) How much of it? Well, all of it. Really? How about 95%? How about I keep a couple in my back pocket and we just kind of sashay along? No, no, no. You have to, when it comes to that faith step, you have to put your will to that, don't you? It isn't going to just happen. You have to decide to say the words. You know what, Lord Jesus? I have not done a very good job of running my life. I have not done a very good job of orchestrating all the things you've given me. And stuff is starting to fall apart. And I need to give my life to you. That is an act of your will. 
Okay, Jesus at that point is not looking for acceptance in the form that we are looking for acceptance, like he needs to be accepted and needs an emotional hug. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about accepting his kingship, his lordship over our life. That's what we're talking about here. So in this, how you think uh, is really important. Uh, this passage points out that to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, our minds need to be renewed. Because the truth is we tend to, if we are not lined up with worship, we tend to make bad choices with our bodies. Right? Would you say in life experience that is true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. All right, so then um, there's two uh, indicators here, two warning indicators. You know, in your car you have the warning lights, right? Check engine light comes on. That's usually not good, right? Check that out. Uh, so the, there's two indicator lights here that I want us to focus on. Can't I'm doing a brush stroke here, all right? This is way deeper than I'm just going to go by it. But just to lock on a principle that I think is really important, is that there are two indicator lights in your life to check how you're doing with how your mind's doing. There are two uh, steering wheels, so to speak, that come up. One is your tongue. If you think about uh, your tongue as a reflection of what's going on in your will, what's going on in your mind. And often we say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, we did. We just didn't mean it to come out. Right? But we were perking it for a long time. And we were perking the attitude or the language or whatever. And it just needed enough pressure for it to squirt out. Right? Take a toothpaste tube. Even if the cap's on, if you squeeze it hard enough, it's going to pop out somewhere. Right? And we're kind of like that as people. And so, one is the tongue. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, James 3 all comment on this issue of how hard it is to control our tongue. To rein it in. Have you ever tried to rein your tongue in. It's, it's a difficult thing. Right? The other one is your genitals. Right? Your private parts. I was trying to think of a nice way to say that in church. All right? Couldn't really come up with one, so we'll just use that. There we go. But this is also important. Uh, how you handle your private parts is an indicator of what's going on inside of your World, and it's also an indicator of your worship. Because you either worship the creation or you worship the creator, and how you handle your private parts is a huge indicator of how you do that. Often, this is where the battle for our thoughts come, is that these two are symptomatic. In other words, if something's going wrong in my will, if something's going wrong in my worship, if something's going wrong in my thought life, where's the first two places it's going to tend to show up? Right here. Your tongue and your privates. Right? Look at our culture. And what we're saying here is that this. It's very important that we understand this. Either our theology dictates our morality or our morality will dictate our theology. You ever had somebody change their theology because their sexual practice changed? Right? I'm not so sure I believe in that anymore. Well, of course. Because you want to adjust the theology so that you're still okay. This is really, really important to get a handle on, is that theology, how we think about God and what God's revealed to us, is not just uh, a Saturday afternoon occupation as a hobby. How we think about God is the most basic elemental 
part of who we really are. And if we want to worship, we have to bring our mind. Now, how you can tell your mind is tracking is if it's tracking in these two areas. Right? Symptomatically, you can watch this. But that uh, doesn't mean necessarily that you're lined up in your thinking because some of us are clever enough to know, I just won't say anything and then I'll be wise. Or I'll at least appear wise. So let's talk about that for a second. We used this last week, and again, Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. What this says is very simple. Our hearts, our minds, our wills betray us. Romans 7 says what? The good I want to do, I find myself not doing. The very evil that I told myself I wouldn't be doing, I find myself doing. How am I going to be rescued from this wretched situation? And it calls it wretched for a reason. Have you ever been in that spot where you're in torn apart by two opinions within yourself? I should, I shouldn't, I should, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Do, don't, do, don't, ah, um, right? No, you've never had that? Man, you are blessed people. Okay. Of course you have, right? It is a, 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 a traumatic experience to be of a divided opinion within yourself. Matter of fact, that's when we seek counsel. That's when we go ask opinions. Why? Because we can't reconcile inside our own thoughts. And worse, sometimes we know our own thoughts are lying to us. And so now we're trying to figure out what voice am I listening to? Which, which voice am I going to listen to? But the idea here that the heart is deceitful, this is what is irritating and obnoxious and frustrating about the Bible to people. Because what the Bible does, if you look and go in the bookstore, uh, there's tremendous self-help books, right? Uh, you can find hundreds of them. How to brush your teeth the proper way, how to, you know, all this kind of stuff. But one of the things about this book that's really irritating is it tells us what's wrong with us. You don't have to read very far in here when it starts to point out what's wrong with us. Now, I don't know how many of you like reading a book that tells you what's wrong with you. But this is a spiritual microscope. Okay? It didn't create what's wrong in us. It just tells us what's wrong in us. Now, we can get mad, take the book and chuck it out through the door and say, stupid book. All right? Did you fix anything by doing that? No, you just threw away the only thing that can really tell you what is wrong. All right? The Bible is trying to alert us that the fall is a serious, serious deal that affects all of us. That we all have to wrestle with the impact of the fall. And part of the impact of the fall is that our minds no longer track the way they're supposed to track. We don't tend to be single-minded towards Christ. We tend to be idolaters and worship other things other than God. How do our own hearts betray us? Um, where, where does the dirt come from? Right? When you think about the dirt. This passage in Matthew, uh, Jesus gets into a verbal tussle with the Pharisees because he and the disciples are walking through a, a wheat field and they're taking the wheat and rolling the heads and then eating the wheat. And the, they're like, oh, 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 you can't do that. You didn't wash your hands. Right? They had um, strict dietary things like that. And washing your hands, not a bad idea. But they turned it into um, 
a test of spirituality. And Jesus says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Where does Jesus say the problem is? Is it located externally or internally? It's internally. The problem is within us. It's within our hearts. It's within our minds and how we think. Jesus goes on to say this uh, in Matthew 12. Just a few before it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're all evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Any of you ever spoken a careless word? Oh, right? That tells you of the need for a Savior. The need for someone to come in and rescue you. The need to come in. But what Jesus is saying is a very practical principle. A good person brings out of their heart good fruit. A bad person brings out of their heart bad fruit. What happens when you bring out bad and good fruit? It says that the, that connection point to what Jesus pointed out is inside of us. The problem is not external, it's internal. And thus comes the saying, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So he is. Right? What you ponder, what you meditate on, what you spend your time thinking about shapes who you are. It colors who you are as a person. And so the control uh, of the mind, the control for the mind, is a very important aspect of worship. Because you can have the body posture of worship, but not have a heart of worship. Husbands and wives, you know how this works. You can be in the same bed and be a million miles apart. Physical proximity does not mean emotional closeness. Likewise, you can be at church and raising your hands. It does not mean you have a worshiping heart. You could be posturing for other people. Right? And let's hope we're not. That's not what we're here for. But the idea there is that you bring out of your heart what's stored in there. And so the control of the mind, this is found in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Have you ever seen that switch flip on and off for you? Right? You start tracking. Oh, 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 shouldn't think about that. Turn the switch off. Then it comes back. This, oh, it's back again. Turn that switch off again. Right? Oh, it's back on. Oh, I think I'll run with that for a while. Ah, ooh, that's no good. I've got to go to church. Ah, you're flipping switches, right? You ever can get confused which switches you're flipping? Right? Because what happens is what we do is we draw a line and say, well, okay, I'll jump over the line a little bit. It won't make that much of a difference because I'm just over the line a little bit. But if we keep redrawing the lines, we eventually drift pretty far away and pretty soon we can't remember where the original line was. You ever go back and go, what was I thinking? 
Where did that thought begin? How did I? I don't even remember what the argument was about. What? How, why are we fighting? Right? It just becomes something that um, takes over. So it's important what we set our mind on. If we set it on the flesh, it's going to be set on the things according to the flesh. If we live according to the Spirit, our minds will be set on the Spirit. For, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is what? Death. Right? But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You ever done that? You've been in turmoil and stuff, and then you go back and have a quiet time, you spend time with Lord, and you go, okay, it's okay. All right, it's good. All right? You set your mind back on that. For the mind that is set on the flesh is, and here's the word, interesting word, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh, blood, and spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You cannot get into the kingdom of God without knowing Jesus Christ. But just because you're born again doesn't mean you will always track in the Spirit. You must apply your will to cooperating with the Holy Spirit, to agreeing which thoughts are from the Holy Spirit, and agreeing which thoughts are from the devil, and tracking on the thoughts from the Spirit, and not tracking on the thoughts from the devil. Uh, So many areas. Pornography falls into this immediately. Right? Boom. Guys, where our eyes go. Your, where your eyes go is an indicator and symptomatic of where your heart is. Right? Um, gals, self-image. How we talk to ourselves about ourselves. If we could put that up on the screen, would that come across very well? No, it would not. There's all kinds of areas where we allow ourselves slippage and it creates havoc and turmoil. And if you play with it enough, you can lose your mind. We literally know people who we would say have lost their mind. right? And we would say of them, they are no longer the person I knew. Uh, I can't tell you how many times sat in my office and a couple's just gone through a, a traumatic fight or a divorce or something like that. And the other partner would look at me and go, I don't know who they are anymore. They are not thinking like the person that I married. I don't understand what's happened. Well, what's happened is the hard drive has become corrupted. Right? They've not tracked on the Spirit. They've tracked on the flesh. And the flesh creates that kind of toxic corrosion in the mind. And notice that this whole passage is on what we set our minds on. What we focus on. That's really important. So this idea here then of the stewardship of the mind. How important it is. One of the things we often think of, well, stewardship is uh, service and stewardship is giving money and stewardship is right being involved in the body. And that that is all true. But one of the things we've got to think about is the stewardship or responsibility, the management of my mind, the management of my thoughts, what I allow and what I don't allow in my thinking. And I'll bet you, even as I'm talking, your week is flashing by and you're thinking through all the different things that are coming up on the video screen of your life going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have had this thought. I can think of, oh my goodness, right? That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Because God wants to clear that out. He wants to weed it out, so to speak. It says this in Colossians. If then you've been raised with Christ, 
I.e., if you have been born again, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then notice this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Great promise, therefore great follow-through. By the way, those of you here this morning, don't look so guilty. Okay, you're just looking very traumatized and guilty. Just stop that, all right? You're fine. You came this morning. I'm not primarily worried about you so much. Yes, we all have to wrestle with it. I'm primarily worried about who's not here this morning. Those are the ones that really need to hear this message, right? But you're here, so we get to do it together. But in this, it says, set your mind, set your mind on the things above. In other words, what's important to Jesus should become important to us. And not only just what's important to him, but the attitudes he says we should have. Because heaven has a tone. Do you know that? There's a tone to heaven. You can find it. uh, I'll give you a hint. Just go through Colossians 3 and read Colossians 3 and see if you can find the tone of heaven. There's a tone. There's a, a spirit to heaven that is important. And God wants us to line up not just with technically right words. He wants us to line up with our minds, our hearts, with the Spirit of heaven. We have said before that the language of heaven is what? Truth. Yes. What's the language of hell? Lies. The language of heaven is truth. The language of hell is lies. Therefore, it's very important whether I'm tracking on truth or I'm tracking on lies. And I know the difference. This says, set your mind on the things that are above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a lot of words that fit in here. Um, Let me reel a couple of them off. Just reverence, awe, devotion, love, worship, fear, obedience, loyalty. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it's a, a famous couple of verses. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Where do those strongholds exist most of the time, by the way? Isn't it in our mind, in the way we think? Right? Why can't we get past something? Why can't a person not see it? We call that what? A blind spot. Because there's a stronghold in their thinking and they can't see it another way. They can't fathom there's another way to look at it and in here it says the spirit is working and waging war to destroy strongholds and that includes with us and that's why sometimes we feel like there's such a war going on inside of us and the reason is because there is there's a war within our thoughts a war within our wills for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments at every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The idea here is I measure every thought coming in against the kingdom. Is that from God or is that from an enemy? Where's the source of that thought? Um, I am astonished at how many people that are Christian have no category for spiritual warfare. They do not believe in the devil. They think of him as a guy with a tail and a pitchfork and horns and he's red and looks ridiculous like a cartoon character. They do not think about the enemy of God who has seduced or betrayed almost every character in the Bible we know. And if he can take those people out, what match are we for him? That he is 
a phenomenally fantastic and seductive liar. That he can woo us away from our first love and we not, don't even know that a hook has been put in our nose and we're being led off to a slaughter. Proverbs 7. We don't have a category for someone who can whisper counter thoughts into our minds or into our hearts or into our spirits and put something else as more attractive than the Lord Jesus himself. And therefore we go around and we consistently go off track and we consistently fall in the ditch and we consistently get wiped out because we have no concept of someone who is the enemy of God and the enemy of my soul. You've got to know who your friends are and you've got to know who your enemy is. And we have an enemy here and this is saying it's a war and that in this, because of the war, we are destroying arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Most of the time that comes in a whisper. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about your circumstance. You? Are you kidding? You think he's adopted you? God doesn't adopt junk. You're not just junk, you're trash. Anybody really knew you were an utter failure? Are you kidding me? You ever heard those whispers? He is very, very good at what he does. So he's bringing that in this passage around that it's very important that our minds take captive the thoughts that come our way so that we obey Christ. And I want to suggest this. Not only is stewardship of the mind very important, but stewardship of the mind is worship. When you want to talk about what real worship is, it's the stewardship of your mind. You track your mind with Christ all week long and we come in here and we sing songs to Him, that's not, hard, that's not a hard translation for you. You've been thinking about Him all week and it's not hard for you to lift Him up because you've been focused on Him all week. On the other hand, if He's never entered your mind through the whole week, you've not been in the Word at all, you have not prayed at all, you walk in here, it feels like, what kind of silly songs are these? And that's kind of cold and I... I'm not into it. You ever, ever, you ever hear somebody say, I don't do worship. That's the preliminaries. I just come for the message. Right? We don't understand what worship is. And we really don't even understand what the message is at that point because what we'd be saying is, my job is to sit there and just know about I don't have to do. And I, Jesus wants to get us out of that rut. Romans 12, go back to this. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's during the day. That's on Monday when you get up. That's through the week when you're starting to get tired. That's Friday when you're driving the kids around and it's all chaos and you have no schedule. And uh, That's worship. How you control your mind when that's happening. And it also says, how are we... Trans- you know, we talk a lot of transformation talk in the church, right? We use... Oh, it was a transformational meeting, right? We use that kind of language. And... Uh, I get a little mm with that kind of language because we don't change as much as we profess we do. How do we change? How we change is by the renewing of what? Our mind. Our mind has to be renewed to think the way God thinks, to line up according to His Word. And so the goal is to set my heart, set my mind, my willpower in making Jesus my number one focus. And when I do that, and I get good at that, and I get better at that, and I start building endurance in that, and I get longer stretches in that, the Bible calls that worship. That's what worship is. Sunday morning when we're singing is just a celebration of the worship that went on during the week. 
And therefore, if nobody's worshipped during the week, how does worship work in church? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? We've been here on Sundays and we've gone, wow, it's flat this morning. What's wrong with us? Right? And then there's other Sunday mornings, what? It just kind of washes over the front. Right? And, and you're just going, wow! And you can tell people are singing. What happened? People probably tracked pretty well that week. They had something to offer when they came to church because they were tracking during the week with their mind and offering their bodies and they served. And as they served, they had gratefulness poured out. So when they come to church, I want to sing that song. That song has a lot of meaning to me. That rings true with what I experienced this week. That's worship. Okay? Sunday morning is just the expression of what went on during the week. Does that make sense to us? All right? Therefore, how we track during the week is incredibly important. Many, many things, especially in our world today, many, many things will want to compete with that and will want to try and steal that. They're going to try and steal Satan's goals to steal that number one position away from Jesus and try to put some other substitute. Something else will fill us. Something else will satisfy us. Something else will make me happy. Something else will fulfill me. Something else will glitter and sparkle better than the kingdom of God. He'll try to put a counterfeit in its place. But we must not allow that to happen. What is the training here? A pastor equips the saints for the work of service. What's the service? The service is our worship of God during the week. How do I worship God during the week? I train my mind to think along with God. And then my body follows what my mind tells it to do. Isn't that true? How does someone, you ever heard someone, how does someone get in an affair and they say, oh, I don't know how that happened? You ever heard that phrase before? Right? I don't, that's not true. That's not true at all. They have thought about it for a long, long time. And it may have taken them years to put it into action, but eventually their body followed what their mind thought. Right? It's an important principle. That's why fellowship is so important. That's why getting together, or even tonight, it's a fundraiser for Nick, but just fellowship and laughing and talking. Just being together with other believers because other believers have a different way of thinking than your neighborhood friends do or your friends at work do or that kind of stuff because Jesus' name actually comes up and it's actually a good thing. Right? That's kind of refreshing to say, man, I, I had a great week with Jesus this week. Wow. You ever been encouraged when someone said that, right? And you just go, Yeah. I hadn't thought of it. That. I, I need to put that into words too. That's, that's a fellowship really important. The church is still critical. The church is still Jesus' bride. It is still His vehicle for this planet. And people who say it's dead have really underestimated Jesus' love for His bride. Jesus' love for His bride is ferocious. Okay, And therefore, you should be blessed this morning because you came to honor Him because you're part of the bride. And He wants you to know that means something to him. He will come to your rescue. He'll come to your aid. Why? Because you paying him attention. That's important. It matters to him. Too many times we get beaten up with that instead of encouraged in that. That's why accountability is, is so important. Accountability, uh, just, hey, how are you tracking? Where are you going, right? Um, we've been in, I've been in my life, been in all kinds of different group settings, different small group settings that have made the difference and helped me track. And I probably uh, am alive today spiritually because of all those different small groups. I remember one small group we used to get up uh, and meet at six in the morning. So I'd have to get up at five because we always 
made pancakes and bacon. But we would get there and uh, one guy, we would talk and say, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And I really walk around. You go, you liar. Okay, I did terrible this week. And it just, you know, it was one of those fun things where you saw life on life kind of stuff. And, and by the way, life on life kind of stuff does not occur in the large group like this this morning. This is, hi, how are you? Fine. Right? We're often very plastic with that because the truth is we're on our lips all week and we're lying because we don't want to let each other know we're doing bad because then somehow I'd be losing a competition. Really? When did the church become plastic and it's all about being fine? Anyways, rabbit trail. The point is that good things happen in small groups. And by the way, this fall, we're going to come back with a new emphasis on small groups. We're going to call them community groups. And the truth is, that is the DNA of Northview. It is how Northview began. And we've gone through all kinds of phases. We started small groups, and then the church went through a bunch of crises, and then went through a pastoral change, and then God did something weird and brought me here, and then we went from Murphy to here. And in all that translation, um, we've grown quite a bit. And what we've realized as a leadership team, and actually some of the leaders kind of said, we've got to go back to the original part. What was the original vision? The original vision that we'd all be in a small group together. And so we're going to come back with that this fall. And uh, we'll tell you a lot more about that coming. But just small groups, it really makes a difference. And that's why being in the Word is so important. A lot of us are reading through the Bible. By the way, if you stopped and you've fallen behind, so what? Pick it back up and get going again. It, it's not a competition race where you get brownie points and the old classic, if I can't win, I won't run. You're not racing against the other believers in your church to see who can get through the Bible the fastest. You're spending time with Jesus and his word to get the whole landscape of what he has to say. Pick it back up. Pick it back up. If you're not in the word, you need to be in the word because you can't track right in your mind if you're not in the Bible. Because it teaches you how to think the way God thinks. And I have found that to be quite an amazing process. Lining up my thinking with God's thinking means then what Scripture says is what? I have the mind of Christ. And when I have the mind of Christ, I know what God wants. And when God asks me to do something, then I do it. When I do it, then that becomes worship. Does that make sense? Worship begins where? In my mind, in my will. It does not exist anywhere else. Once I begin to track what worship in my mind, then all things become worship. What I give, how I serve, how I sing, it all becomes worship and it all rolls in together. But it starts where? With how I think. And there's a fierce, fierce battle raging in our world to steal our minds and our affections away from Christ. Let's encourage each other to stay true to the target and let's encourage each other to stay true in our thinking that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again from the dead, and that He has given us a kingdom that what? Cannot be shaken. Let's say that again. He's given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay? That kingdom is for you. That kingdom's for me. Let's keep our thinking straight on that. Let's worship. Father, as we come before You, we realize Your mercy has allowed enormous enormous opportunity for us, has provided things none of us should have ever experienced. There isn't a person in this room, Lord, that shouldn't be headed directly towards hell, me included, especially me. Lord, we don't deserve. And yet, in Your great, great love, it says in Your mercy, You came and You found us and you, You looked out and You adopted us and You brought us in as sons and daughters. Therefore, Lord... Uh, 
how we think about that is very important. And Lord, we live in a world of enormous distraction, uh, electronics all over the place. And uh, the truth is, sometimes you could be the last person or thing we think about. May that just be set in motion by our will that, that if that's true, that would be different this week. And if we're on task with you, if our mind is tracking, we would stay focused and not allow it to be sealed. Lord, work with our thoughts this week. Identify where the enemy is whispering. Identify where we're vulnerable to idolatry. Identify where an attitude is not from you. And help us transform by the renewing of our mind because you call and then we respond. And we give that to you a great hope in your name. Amen.